Welcome in, everybody, to the fifth episode of Riding the 3 by 3 podcast hosted by and produced by yours truly, Russ Eltman, here in the glass city of Toledo, Ohio. It's right around 6 o'clock Wednesday evening in beautiful northwest, the northwest corner of the great Buckeye State, and it's in the depths of the dog days of summer here in Toledo, Ohio, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Every single local football team here in the great high school hotbed of Toledo is underway with fall camp, along with the Toledo Rockets, the Bowling Green Falcons. We got training camp underway across the NFL. So many storylines to get to, and uh, we're going to try to touch on the, the highlights that I think we can gauge from the past week. And we're going to have this one be a little quicker of an episode after I ran a little long last week. But want to remind everyone to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Send us a little five-star review as well. You can find us on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to the beautiful medium that is known as podcasting. Go ahead and subscribe. We'll be right in your inbox each and every Wednesday, at least went by Wednesday night, sometime Thursday morning. Just depends on when I, when I can get this thing done based around my schedule. But let's get into it. Three topics, and I got a ride-sharing story for everybody at the end. Finally, a return of the ride-sharing story. Let's ride the three-by-three. Three. Here we go. Topic one starts right now. All right, topic number one, and really the first two topics going to concern the NFL. National Football League training camps underway. We're we're fully engaged. We're fully rolling through it, and it's it's got. We're going to start off both of these topics having to do with two uh two so quote unquote headache type of players. I wouldn't go so far as to say both of them are are extensive headaches, so to say. But right now, Ezekiel Elliott is a thorn in the side of Dallas Cowboys fans, Dallas Cowboys management, and a headache for them as well. Has still not reported to training camp in Oxnard, California. He's holding out for a new deal, even though he still has two years remaining on his current rookie contract. Once something in the ballpark of the Todd Gurley contract, which pays him a little north of $14, $15 million a year annually, the highest paid running back in the league, that is Todd Gurley, and they're they're basically at a standstill right now. Stephen Jones has kind of been the 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 voice of the team during this time. He's the COO, son of famed owner, longtime owner of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones. And he said, "Hey, we have made a generous, substantial offer to not only Ezekiel Elliott, but also to the the whole trio on that side of the football and quarterback Dak Prescott and wide receiver Amari Cooper." He said they have offered them deals which would make each of those three players top five paid performers at their position. And that includes Ezekiel Elliott, who is still in Cabo San Lucas, still working out on his own, not reporting to the team, extending his holdout for the exact reason that he wants to not only be paid in the top five, he wants to be paid number one. He wants to set the market at the running back position and uh, and, and increase the that always sought after guaranteed dollar amount that he uh, wants on that contract. So he wants to be paid as the number one player at his position He's being offered in the top five. They haven't, Stephen Jones and the rest of that crew has not, on the Dallas management side, has not stipulated exactly what that number is that they have offered him, but I'm guessing it's somewhere right around the current Le'Veon Bell deal, which is close to 13, 14 million. It's just a tick below Todd Gurley. And honestly, if you're, if you're Ezekiel Elliott, 
getting this advice right now to continue your holdout. And it was reported just in the last 24 hours that he will sit out the entire season in the same fashion that Le'Veon Bell did last year when all he had on the table from the Pittsburgh Steelers was that $15 million franchise tag option for one more season wearing the black and yellow uniform in Pittsburgh, then that's just horrible, horrible way to go about your business. And it's horrible advice that from whoever is giving it to Ezekiel Elliott. It makes absolutely no sense. I said it on, a, I don't know if it was last week or the episode two weeks ago. He's got this year left on his contract. He's got 2020 left on his contract. Plus, according to league rules, which the players have agreed to in the previous CBA agreed upon in 20, 2011, they're going to have that one going back up to the negotiating table in 2021. He is going to have two years of franchise tag eligibility on top of these two current years left on his contract. And a, a thing that people aren't really talking about a, a lot when they when they preface this whole situation with Zeke is the fact that the dude has to accrue six games played this season or next season or the season after that to count as a full year, to count as having played a season towards your current contract, then you have to play six games during that season. So what that means is 2019, if he plays the first six weeks of the season or if he holds out until week 12, week 13, and plays the final six games of the season, then that will go towards one more year of his contract that he's currently on. But if he sits out the entire season, then he still has two years left on his deal along with two years of franchise tag eligibility. It just makes no sense to me with where he is currently on his contract situation, his contract timeline, that he, the rookie contract that I'm referring to right there, for him to be doing this. It's, it's a huge headache for the entire franchise. It's a huge distraction, I think, just when you think about him not being there, him not being around the team, not able to understand this new offense that they're installing with uh, with Kellen Moore there as the new OC and John Kitten as the quarterback's coach and just that whole new vibe they're trying to surround this team with and trying to capitalize off of last year's momentum of a playoff victory against the Seattle Seahawks, the fact that he's not there is just a massive detriment to the team. And I'm all for guys trying to get their money. But, dude, you got two years left plus two more years of team control on your contract. And if they're offering you... 13, 14 million a year with 30, 35 million dollars guaranteed or 20, 25, 25, 30 million dollars guaranteed, you're not going to find that deal at in many other places. It's just the bottom line of where the running back position is nowadays. NFL teams have gotten a lot smarter in terms of the analytical values of each and every position on the football field over the last few years, and that's just a spot on a roster that I have argued, especially during all of these running back controversies of holding out between him, Melvin Gordon, the so, so on, Le'Veon Bell going back to last year, that the running back position is arguably the least valuable position in terms of replaceability with an average player in, in their production versus an elite player in their production on an entire NFL roster. It's arguably the least valuable when you put it in those kind of terms. So for Le'Veon Bell, and, and the, it did work for him, Sorta. He's never going to get back that $15 million, and he did become the second highest paid running back at his position and got a nice guaranteed deal with the New York Jets this past offseason. You could say it kind of worked out for him, but you could also argue it didn't. And I'm going to 
fully be able to argue it's not going to work out for Ezekiel Elliott if he passes up this year of his contract and goes in to next year's offseason still with two years left on his deal, a deal that will pay him $4 million this year and close to $10 million, which it's more like $9 million next year in the final year of his rookie contract. And that's because he was a top five player in the uh, in the 2016 draft where he was picked up. So if you're Ezekiel Elliott and you're his management, you've made your point, you've proven your point. I would take that deal that they're offering right now, take that guaranteed money increase while you can get it, take that nice boost in pay while you can get it, and go back to Oxnard get back out on the field and get ready to uh, to run all up and down the gridiron here in about a month's time. Another player I want to get to and and highlight a, a team in the Oakland Raiders. Watched Hard Knocks on premiered last night, Tuesday, August 6th. It's such a great show. I love what HBO does with that Hard Knocks documentary type feel. They sucked you in with the Ronald Ali storyline to start. We thought, oh, this is going to be the classic guy that they show for the first 20, 30 minutes of the first episode, you follow him for a month just to see him get cut right before the first game of the season. Nope, plot twist. Ronald Ollie didn't show up for a treatment, and that might might slide in eastern Mississippi. It might slide at, where is it, Nichols State or Nichols College, where he went to after his, uh, his claim to fame on the Last Chance U featured school a couple years ago, but it's not going to fly in the NFL and it's not going to fly on John Gruden's team. He was gone immediately after Gruden figured that out and it was a it was a harsh but kind of satisfying look into how the NFL works and just how real life works. You can't do that. You got to show up. You got to be fully committed 100%, especially in an industry like the NFL where there is a next man up mentality and they will be able to replace you in a heartbeat. But a guy I want to focus on that didn't really get featured a lot in terms of on the field time last night is Antonio Brown. Arrives in the big old hot air balloon. He's got his kids asking, hey, why isn't Ben Roethlisberger your quarterback? Where's Big Ben? And he's he's chuckling, just kind of facetiously probably running through all of the times he and Big Ben butted heads that ultimately led to his splitting from the Pittsburgh Steelers on his way to the Oakland Raiders and said, hey, no, Derek Carr's our quarterback now. Derek's our quarterback, and uh, that's how it's going to be from now on. But not on the practice field really at all so far through camp. Has only practiced once, has not practiced at all in the first week of August, and there was rumblings of a minor foot injury. He, it had been bothering him coming into camp. I guess he went and saw a specialist just a few days ago after it started bothering him again after the first practice. Turns out, Antonio Brown, who I commend fully for always being in tip-top shape, taking immense care of his body, really committing himself and his whole life to this profession. He is one of those guys that anyone in any type of work should look to as a guiding light as to what you should do each and every day as you try to become perfect in what he's doing as a receiver. But the man forgot to put on some booties when he got into the cryotherapy chamber. What are we doing? What are we doing, people? And I'm not going to blame Antonio Brown as much as the the cryotherapy technician over there in France, which is where he was a month ago when he stepped into the cryotherapy chamber. What are we doing? You, it's 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 common knowledge in one of those in one of those procedures as you would as you would call it that you go in with some shoes on 
or some some wool socks or something. The dude has frostbite on his feet, and that's why he is not practicing in the first couple weeks of camp. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall, and maybe, well, luckily enough, with the Raiders being on hard knocks, we'll be able to be the proverbial fly on the wall when they fit, when John Gruden is told the news that Antonio Brown is not dealing with a sprained foot. He's not dealing with turf toe or trench foot or anything like that. It's frostbite. Not from going to Antarctica or going all the way to the Arctic to visit Santa Claus or anything like that. No, it's from being in France a month ago and going through a cryotherapy treatment session that he didn't put any protective footwear on for. It's amazing. It's honestly amazing to me. And I'm not blaming Antonio Brown. He was doing something at the time that is clearly beneficial for his body. It can be really helpful with inflammation. And and it's something that a lot of these elite athletes do to kind of recover and get back to 100% as quickly as possible without having to take performance-enhancing drugs or anything like that that is outlawed in the NFL or, or other major sports. But I'm more just scratching my head at who was running this cryotherapy session. Who was the nurse? Who was the technician that was like, yeah, Antonio Brown, you're good to go. Didn't look down at his feet. Didn't tell him to put on some protective footwear. So it's less me, not laughing, but me scratching my head and wondering what is Antonio Brown doing and more, what is that technician doing at the cryotherapy station? That was honestly amazing to me. And wow, that's, that's just incredible that I, I tweeted earlier today on Wednesday, August 7th, it's peak 2019 that Antonio Brown has a minor foot injury relating to frostbite on his feet. Business is frozen right there. Business is frozen. Last topic of the day before I get to the ride-sharing story and we wrap up this quicker pod than last week's riding the 3 by 3 I'm loving what I'm seeing out of the out of Major League Baseball in the playoff race. It's, it's basically a wrap, quote-unquote, so to say, in every division in the American League outside of the Central, which uh, the team that we follow closely here in Toledo, the Cleveland Indians, just two and a half games back in the Minnesota Twins, they're currently playing a doubleheader right now against the Texas Rangers. Won the first game and are leading the second game. If they win that one, they'll only be two games back, heading into a four-game stint in the Twin Cities, taking on Minnesota over the uh, over the back half of this week. So that's a massive four-game series that could ultimately end up deciding the crown champion of the AL Central Division. But outside of that, Houston up 10 games on the Oakland Athletics. New York up 9.5 games on the Tampa Bay Rays. Another 6 games on top of that, up 15.5 on the Boston Red Sox. So the American League is pretty much done. And, and same with the wildcard race when you, when you look at the American League. There's only one team in the entire American League within 5 games of the wildcard leaders and that's the Oakland Athletics, a half game back of the Tampa Bay Rays. And then the closest team after that is six games back, the defending world champion Boston Red Sox, who, if they don't go on some kind of amazing tear here through the last couple weeks of August, they're going to find themselves going from worst to looking outside of the playoff race here in uh, just 12 months' time as they try to really figure out what's going on with that starting pitching in Boston. But I want to highlight the National League, and that's what intrigues me the most right now in Major League Baseball, especially this National League wild card race. Two leaders right now, Washington Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies, both sitting at 60 and 53 and 59 and 54, respectively. Two NL East teams that 
don't like each other very much. They just swapped, or they didn't swapped, one lost a all-time great phenom type of young player in Bryce Harper to the Philadelphia Phillies just this past offseason, signed that monstrous $300 million deal. But those two teams have a lot of competition snipping at their heels, just nipping like a little, little, little barky dog, little barky dogs all up and down this National League wildcard race. Three teams are only one game back. When you look at the St. Louis Cardinals, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the streaking New York Mets, this team has won 13 of 14. I, on multiple, multiple avenues in terms of radio, podcasts, was shredding the New York Mets for not selling off their assets at the deadline, for bringing in an asset in Marcus Stroman and not getting rid of Noah Syndergaard, but they have turned things around. Pete Alonso hit his 37th home run of the of the season today, his illustrious, incredible rookie season, highlighted by a, uh, a stolen home run derby crown from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but we won't get into that. They're only one game back, 13 of 14 victorious games in their past, uh, past couple weeks. And then outside of that, Arizona Diamondbacks, only two and a half games back of the wild card. The San Francisco Giants, after a great month of July, only three and a half games back. And then my Cincinnati Reds round out the uh, proverbial wild card contenders at four and a half games behind the leaders. That's six teams within four and a half games of the wild card leaders right now. And I think it's it's going to come down to the wire when we get to the last couple weeks of September. The Cincinnati Reds have, I think, rounded into a nice form. They have a solid, arguably the best outside of the Dodgers rotation in the National League right now. When you look at their pitching, they're getting some good hitting from guys like Eugenio Suarez. Tucker Barnhart has come back at, as the uh, everyday pit catcher with a vengeance a type of mentality that you'll love to see at the plate. He is hitting the ball really well, especially the deep ball, which has been all the rage this year. So this wild card race is going to be really interesting. And I I could I would be really surprised if the Cincinnati Reds were one of those wild card teams all the way down there of out of those eight teams in the race right now. But Outside of the Reds, really, and the Giants, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those other six teams, including the Nationals and Phillies, of course, who hold the two spots respectively right now, get into the dance. And it's really incredible that, especially when you look at the NL Central, that four of the five teams in the NL Central right now are really neck and neck in playoff contention. And that's not even, that's without me even really recognizing the Chicago Cubs who the Cincinnati Reds have another in similar fashion to their to their respective neighbors to the north the Cleveland Indians a massive four game series coming up starting tomorrow Thursday August 8th against the Chicago Cubs who have a three and a half game lead on the St. Louis Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers respectively if the Reds can figure out a way to get three of four win that series or by some miracle pull off a sweep then they're going to be four, three, four games out of first place in the NL Central and easily in the mix with those other six teams outside of the Giants in the NL wildcard race. So it's going to be a lot of fun, especially as a Reds fan, where everybody in Cincinnati and, and out elsewhere across the country, across the world that supports the Red Stockings has tuned out once they got to this part of the season, early part of August. 
They're giving us something to root for. And I'm just hoping and I'm praying that it's not going to continue like it has the past couple months where it's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. until we realize at the end of the season, they won 78, 79 games. And then, and it was really a, a lost campaign, but it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this NL wildcard race shakes out. And especially the NL central four teams have a legitimate shot. I think the one that division Reds not very legitimate, being seven games back, but a four-game stint against the Chicago Cubs, like I just said, that could really change the fortunes in that division. That's going to wrap up riding the three-by-three topics-wise. Now let's get into some ride-sharing stories. One ride-sharing story that I really wanted to, to bring up today had my first ever dog passenger. It was a sweet old lady. I forget what her name was, but she uh, she had a service dog with her, and it was this old wiener dog like fat little wiener dachshund and his name was dog and she just kept saying i was like what's his name and she goes it's dog and i'm like what what do you mean it's a dog like like d-a-w-g like is, you named your dog dog and she's like yeah his name's dog and his middle name's Gonnet. so she calls him dog Gonnet. and i i almost wrecked my car when she told me that it was the cutest most precious little pup I love loved giving him the little ear scratches and the belly scratches. So, oh, stuff, little stuff like that just makes me makes me smile, makes the day, and makes riding a three by three, talking to you guys in the podcast medium, that much more fun. Wraps up today's episode. Go ahead and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Throw us a five star review, and we'll see you next Wednesday.